Coming up, everybody, they say to be a good dad, you can't be buddy-buddy with your kids. Why is that? Or is it even the case? That and a full hour of dad-related questions up next. Good afternoon for BYU Radio. I'm Ian Jones. Here are some of the stories we're following today. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton is starting an 11-day trip to Africa, the AP's Ed Donahue reports. The trip includes a stop in Africa's newest nation, South Sudan. First stop is Senegal, where Clinton is expected to warn African nations about the potential perils of Chinese investment without actually mentioning China by name. Experts say it benefits China at Africa's expense by exploiting the country's raw materials without regard for human rights. The Secretary of State is also worried about growing security threats from Islamist militants in Africa. Ed Donahue, Washington. It could be a historic night for Michael Phelps in the Olympic pool. AP correspondent Warren Levinson reports from London. If things work out tonight, Michael Phelps could become the most decorated Olympian ever and the Americans could get their revenge on France in the relay. It's going to be a great race tonight. Davis Tarwater swam the third leg in the 4x200 relay qualifier, which the Americans won by more than two seconds over their nearest rival, France, which beat them in the 4x100. The team for the finals will be different if Phelps is on it and if he wins a medal in the 200-meter butterfly earlier, the evening could leave the Beijing Superman with 19 Olympic medals, most of anyone. In other preliminary Nathan Adrian led all qualifiers in the 100-meter freestyle. The first 50 felt easy, he said. Warren Levinson, London. A woman who snatched a newborn from a hospital more than two decades ago and raised the child as her own was sentenced to 12 years in prison. AP correspondent Julie Walker has the story. Ann Petway pleaded guilty to the 1987 kidnapping in February. She said she took a train from her Connecticut home to Harlem Hospital, where she scooped up three-week-old Carlina White then denied the child the truth about her family for 23 years. White's mother cried in court as the 12-year sentence was announced. Outside court, Joy White said she was outraged at the plea bargain, just as she said would be one year for every year she was separated from Carlina. Julie Walker, New York. A couple of highly touted American track and field athletes are looking forward to Friday's start of competition. Here's AP correspondent John Klobuchar. Sonia Richards-Ross will try for the double running in both the 200 and 400 meters. She's looking for her first individual gold medal. I'm excited that I made the team. That was a challenge in itself. Uh, The American trials are so challenging, so difficult. Um, and so to be one of the best in, in, in the, for the United States was a thrill for me, and I hope I can grab a medal in the 200 as well, but that would just be icing on the cake for me. The team also includes decathlete Ashton Easton. Despite setting a world record at the U.S. trials, he only aims to get better. Some of my marks weren't the best, and I did some things that were good, but there's a lot of room for improvement. The competition at the stadium begins Friday morning with qualifying heats. John Fulbicar, London. The U.S. has released its annual report card on religious freedom. The AP's Norman Hall reports. A religious freedom report released by the State Department criticizes U.S. allies Afghanistan and Pakistan, while also taking aim at chronic violators Iran, China, and North Korea. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton says religious freedom is suffering. When it comes to this human right, this key feature of stable, secure, peaceful societies, the world is sliding backwards. Clinton says the jury's still out on Egypt's handling of religious rights. I'm Norman Hall. That's all for now from the BYU Newsroom. Thanks for joining us here at Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can on this show every Monday through Friday to help you and your loved ones grow healthy, happy relationships. Lives, in fact, long into the future. We want to give you the tools you need to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Welcome to the program, everybody. Hope you're out enjoying uh, just your life, your family, your kids. Last night I had a great experience with my children. Now, I've got to let you in on a secret. I have six children. And as Bill Cosby jokes, he has six, be- no, he has five because six, he, no, he has five because he would kill his sixth. And um, the reality of what I'm finding in my life is I have six because my seventh would probably kill me. So we are parents of six kids, beautiful little gifts from heaven. And I am starting to wonder if I'm meant to be a father because I'm not quite sure I'm adding up. And I'm not quite sure if I'm being the father I need to be. I, I feel like my advice is always about a week late and a, do, a day late, kind of dollar short feel. And uh, one of the things that interesting, interested me, I was reading an article the other day of a father. It was on KSL.com. And this poor father was sitting at home writing an article for, his, uh, for, for KSL.com while his daughter was about to get married. And um, the daughter didn't invite him to the wedding because he just didn't, I don't know, seem to care, I guess. He, he, had, he had taken a role. His daughter had had a child out of wedlock a little earlier. And so he has a daughter that's 20 years old and a grandchild. And she's marrying her boyfriend, um, the, the baby's daddy. And the honest truth is he says he just didn't like the baby's daddy. <laughs> And so as a father, he loves his daughter and he loves his grandbaby. He just doesn't like the grandbaby's daddy. And now this couple's getting married. And so I guess because the daughter and and the father had some fallouts, he basically wasn't invited to the the wedding. And she had actually denied even having a wedding even the day before. And um, he was now feeling like a loser, horrible father that didn't care for his child because I guess he had taken a stand. So on the show today, I'm starting to think, oh, boy, I don't want to have regrets like that. Well, unless I don't have to pay for the wedding, of course, that would be different. Um, But I'm wondering, do any of us feel like we're really good enough fathers? Do we feel like we're good enough parents? Do you feel like you even have a handle on it? I mean, where would we have learned this? Some of us had incredible parents that we can look to that, you know, they really nailed it in the role of father or they nailed it in the role of mother. But some didn't. Some of us learned to parent on TV. I, for example, had some really great examples growing up uh, from television. Andy Taylor from The Andy Griffith Show. Now, the, the, the a website called theartofmanliness.com put together a top 10 best dads and top 10 worst dads list. Let's go through some of these. You see where you rank as far as top dads are concerned. Andy Taylor just passed away, by the way. He really was super dad. He also had a live-in maid aunt, which which made it probably easier. Uh, Homer Simpson somehow is number two on the list, which I'm not quite sure I understand. I think it's just, you know, he just was ignorantly loving and lovable. Hank Hill from The King of the Hill. Hank does a fantastic job teaching his son Bobby the meaning of hard work, dedication, and loyalty to his friends and family, as well as the importance of the Dallas Cowboy football team. 
Steve Douglas, My Three Sons. I grew up on that show. I always thought how great it would be to have a dad like that. Ward Cleaver, Leave It to Beaver. That was always kind of, I don't know, I always felt awkward about the the Cleavers. They just lived in a weird place. Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable, seriously for me, he is the dad that I grew up on. I mean, and I was an adult, but I kind of tailored my parenting after Mr. Huxtable. Jim Anderson from Father Knows Best. Mike Brady from The Brady Bunch. Eric Camden from Seventh Heaven. And Howard Cunningham from the Happy from Happy Days. Now, those are the good guys, right? Let's talk about the worst dads. Now, these you might also relate to. How about Tony Soprano? <laughs> Nothing better than a mafioso as your father um, who could take the garbage out for you, so to speak. Al Bundy, married with children. Remember that guy? Uh, Archie Bunker, all in the family, kind of the universal ra- racist, um, calling his son Meathead. What a guy. Uh, Frank Costanza from Seidfeld. Uh, what's his name? George Costanza's paranoid shell of a man father. Um, Anyway, just interesting. Peter Griffin from Family Guy, just flat out messed up. John Locke's dad on Lost. I don't watch Lost, so I don't know much about that. Arthur Spooner from The King of Queens. Um, That guy, just love him to death. That's Carrie's uh, father, Arthur, who's actually Jerry Stiller. Remember him? And and Job Bluth from Arrested Development. (laughs) Oh, my heavens. Who is just horrendous. Um, Anyway. Jack Bowers on there from 24. Ray Barone. Everyone loves Raymond. Fathers. What makes a great father? What doesn't? You know what? It seems like a fairly uh, easy thing. It's not, I guess it's not as easy as it sounds because a lot of us have some maybe regrets, maybe just don't know what we should be doing. So we're going to be bringing on an expert today to talk us through that and to kind of help us get a clue of what we should be doing as fathers to step up and parents. I think you'll see a lot of this is universal to just all parents. Now, have you ever had one of those moments, though, as a father, as a dad, where you just wanted to throw your hands up in the air and scream? That's it. Never, ever again. Okay, something I would never do again with my kid. Hi, I'm Andy. I've been a dad for more than 17 years. I have this situation that occurs with my youngest child where she will ask me to unlock the TV, and I do so, and then I go off and do my chores, and then I'll come back as the day's reaching its end or late in the afternoon, and she's still there watching TV. And I keep repeating this week after week and telling myself, oh, I'm not going to do that again. But it just keeps happening. When changing his diaper, just to, you know, not guard myself because sometimes, you know, they're not finished doing their business. And uh, um, that's something I'm never going to let happen again. My name's Brett Taylor, and I've been a father for about two months. There was a fireworks show. What we realized is the fireworks show is extremely loud. And... We, as new parents, didn't really know whether that's going to hurt our baby's ears or not. So I spent the entire fireworks show with my fingers in my baby's ears. He was so far out of his schedule because he's usually sleeping long before he just decided he didn't want to sleep the rest of the night. I became a dad in 1978. We were planning a trip to Yellowstone, I believe it was. Uh, Anyway, one of the kids was riding in the back and said, Hey, Dad, one of our suitcases just fell off the car. (laughs) Right as I looked in the rearview mirror, a semi-truck splats that suitcase, and it was mine. Shaving cream (laughs) went everywhere, but it became legendary in the family. We laughed about it for years to come. It's fun to hear these guys we work with as they tell their crazy stories. And um, 
We're talking about dads. What are what is the role we're supposed to play? What are the the do's, the don'ts of being a father? We're going to be bringing on Jared Warner, Dr. Jared Warner from Brigham Young University, assistant professor of the Department of Psychology, who's going to give us some insight into fathering. Hopefully, uh, we're going to hope Jared Warren knows best because we are nothing but clueless right now. And we will be back with him with insights, ideas, tools to help you and yours um, last on this crazy thing called life right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Next time you build a house, you might want to insulate it with solid smoke. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Aerogel, sometimes known as solid smoke, is the most lightweight solid material known to man. Over 90% air, it's also one of the world's best insulators. But for years, aerogels were too brittle and expensive for widespread use. When NASA wanted a super-efficient aerogel insulation system for the space shuttle program, they also needed it to be flexible and durable. A company named Aspen Systems Incorporated delivered. They developed a groundbreaking manufacturing process for aerogels that cuts down both time and cost. On top of that, researchers solved durability and handling problems that had limited the use of aerogel insulation for decades. A spinoff company, Aspen Aerogels, says their ultra-thin aerogel blankets can provide up to five times the performance of traditional building insulation materials. The insulation can be used on new construction or added to existing structures. These aerogel blankets are strong, flexible, thin, and waterproof. And now you can find liquid smoke used in everything from undersea pipelines to clothing. For Innovation Now, this is Crystal Browning. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. You'd want to bring another shirt than just your Hawaiian one, Dave, depending on where you go. You won't even need to pack your bags to see the world through the eyes of folk artist Eric Dowdle. I don't care if we go to Siberia. Dave's in a Hawaiian shirt with camera and Bermudas. Absolutely. Traveling with Eric Dowdle, weekday evenings at 9 Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. And flippity flops. (laughs) Flip flops. There we go. You got it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are taking on a huge topic, uh, the topic of fathers, of parenting. What is our role as dads? Uh, what, I mean, what, what are we supposed to be doing? What is the exact goal? I mean, it seems like there's so many. We could be their friend. We could be the dictator. We just don't want regrets, and so we've been we've uh, we've worked and and found I believe an, an incredible expert, Jared Warren, who's a who's a PhD, assistant professor here at Brigham Young University in the Department of Psychology, just a great guy, and we're going to be picking his brain in a minute. And I want everybody out there be thinking if you've got questions you'd like to ask a PhD on parenting, give us a text. Uh, you can chat with or send us an email at mattchat at byu dot edu. Um, or you can go to Facebook at BYU Radio. Anything you can do, get in and give us a give us a little bit of a a message because we would love to get you involved in this discussion. Now, before we go there, 
We've all heard of the uplifting stories, right, about the great dads. But what about the bad ones? Ben Wagner reports on the worst dads in human history. Oscar Wilde once said that children begin by loving their parents. As they grow older, they judge them, and sometimes they forgive them. Now, this is probably a gross generalization. There are lots of great parents out there, including my own. But despite his father being a knight and a well-renowned doctor, Oscar Wilde pretty obviously had some daddy issues. I mean, have you read Dorian Gray? And he's not the only one. Throughout the history of the world, there have been some pretty bad dads. Let's start at the beginning, taking the mythological bad dad, Zeus. I know the guy could throw thunder, but he was usually too busy chasing after nymphs or keeping the rest of the gods in check to show any attention towards his 100-plus kids or their 70-plus mothers. I mean, despite what Disney would like us to believe, Hercules didn't slay the Hydra or free Prometheus to impress a girl. He was hoping by picking up the world, Dad would maybe pay attention. Sadly, Dad was too busy turning people into tortoises or playing with his pet eagle to notice. Then there's the biblical bad dads. Noah got drunk, passed out, and when his son found him, he cursed him and his seed forever. Thanks, Dad. Isaac couldn't even tell his kids apart, and Jacob really shouldn't have played favorites. Look at the obvious psychological damage that did. And remember King Herod? Well, along with the killing of all the babies in Bethlehem, he also had three of his sons killed. Welcome to Prolicide 101. Speaking of murderous fathers, Emperor Constantine, first Christian emperor of Rome, he had six children, up until his second wife made a pass at his eldest and favorite son, Crispus. Being a good and dutiful son, Crispus denied her advances and ran to tell his father what had happened. As a reward, Constantine had him executed and his existence wiped from the Roman records. Merry Christmas. Herod and Constantine aren't the only royally bad dads. The history of the English monarchy is basically one big Freudian mess. Starting with William the Conqueror, it's hard to find a monarch who didn't clash with their children, normally on the battlefield. Perhaps the best example is the infamous Henry VIII, who so desperately wanted a son, he had his daughter Elizabeth I declared illegitimate after he had her mother Anne Boleyn executed. She would later take out her frustration on the Spanish Armada. And remember Shakespeare, the greatest writer in the history of the English language? After fathering three children with his wife Anne Hathaway, Shakespeare left his family behind and ran off to the London theater scene, only returning to visit on occasion. It is a wise father that knows his own child indeed. Fictional bad dads? Almost too many to count. Vernon Dursley was such a bad surrogate father that his nephew thought it was better to run off to a haunted, elf-infested castle without electricity than stay at home. And how about Darth Vader? I know he really wanted to get his son in the family business, but chopping his hand off was a step too far. And don't even get me started on Jack Torrance. His son might have had visions of creepy twins, but that really wasn't justification for chasing after him with an axe. And then there's the modern bad dad in sports. How about Sean Kemp, the former NBA star who fathered a Zeusian number of children? Or remember Todd Marinovich, taken with the 24th pick in the NFL draft? The Raiders quarterback spent his entire life being groomed by his overbearing father, including a meticulous diet and exercise routine that started in his infancy. A diet and exercise routine that caused him to burn out quickly in the pros, all because his dad never let him eat Oreos. Of course, there's also the stage dads, the Joe Jacksons, the Billy Ray Cyruses, and Michael Lohans of the world, deadbeat dads capitalizing on the success of their children. So next time your dad makes you mad, he doesn't understand you, won't lend you money, just remember it could be worse. At least your dad hasn't tried to kill you, or worse, at least you're not Lindsay Lohan. Oh, 
Ben Wagner sneaking win on, in, one in on Lindsay Lohan. Uh, interesting. It's a great uh, piece. Just when you think of the impact of fathers and, and just the long line of dads that have struggled with this role, including the fictional ones. Um, we are coming back right now with Dr. Jared Warren, who, again, is works in the Department of Psychology at Brigham Young University. He's uh, In a couple of weeks, he's going to be speaking at Education Week here on campus to talk about the important role of fathers. Uh, Dr. Warren, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. It's Thanks a, for having me. It's a big deal. I have never. Have you heard of this list of bad dads before? I'm, from Zeus. I was great to listen to that. It makes me feel a lot better about you my rock. own fathering. Isn't yeah. it amazing how good you are in comparison to Darth Vader? Um, <laughs> now tell us though, because really, I think we don't. First of all, dads get a bad rap anyway. Um, just it seems like just like we don't seem to pay them the respect they need. But what what is the role? Of father, like what's the research telling us? What is it that we're learning about being a father, and why it's so important? Wow, well, that's a huge question, yeah. and um, uh, I mean, to, to simply summarize the research, it's pretty clear that fathers matter a lot, yeah. um, and I mean, I think that just confirms you know, our own experiences yeah. and. Um, my background's in clinical child psychology, and so... So you've seen it from the child side. Exactly, and that's actually something that got me interested in this issue besides, you know, being a father myself yeah. is uh, counseling with families and with, with kids and with youth and um, seeing seeing some negative examples and some good examples and the contrasts and the uh, inestimable incalculable impact that fathers can have Huge. on their kids. Um, and, um, you know, there's no question that, you know, all of us make yeah. mistakes. None of us is perfect. Right. But um, I just think as as fathers, we we ought to take a step back now and then and recognize the good impact yeah. that we have on our kids and, and it's not It doesn't have to be big stuff, does it? I mean, it's, sometimes it's just being there. It's being present. It's mm-hmm. being... Um, I guess uh, the support, the constant, somebody that's just there kind of seemingly protecting um, a sense of security. What do you see that that fathers specifically bring to their children or maybe not bring but could bring? Right. Well, I mean there's there's been dozens and dozens of studies on, on a broad range of outcomes for for kids in terms of what fathers contribute. And I mean, you see everything from, you know, just their social development, Mm -hmm. uh, their behavioral and emotional functioning, um, anxiety, depression, behavior problems. Uh, When fathers are there and are, and are good uh, because you, you want, you need to be more than just there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You, uh, you see impact on their educational achievement, um, and I think, you know, study after study is looking at different aspects of this. And again, I think it kind of just confirms what we yeah. experience in our own families. And, you know, each of us could think about, you know, our own fathers or people that we know. And, um, you know, if if things had been better or, you know, what if we didn't have our father? Right. And, um, I think just on a personal level, we can recognize the, uh, the magnitude of that it. role. Totally. In fact, I was raised, my parents divorced, so my dad didn't live in the home with us. But he made a huge impact in being somebody that, like, I'd go to work with him and I'd go, I'd go, and like, literally every day was with him at work. 
but he would give you feedback, and his feedback was different than the feedback mom would give you, and his ideas for work and employment were different, and it's different. You need other views, and there, I, I did, there was a study out about dads roughhousing yeah. with kids. That, I guess, helps so, socialize them. Is that what it is? Yeah, well, it, that kind of research is interesting. Yeah. I mean, something as simple as the way that fathers play with their kids yeah. that's different than like the a, way that mothers what is it? do. Is it riskier? Is it? Well, it does, and I mean, like the wrestling on the ground yeah. and the, the roughhousing and, and throwing them up in the uh-huh. air and, and rolling around on the ground with them. Um, something as simple as that helps with their emotional regulation because they oh, learn that you know they get their their physiology a little bit worked up, but yeah. then they learn that okay, now it's time to calm down, and it's just a simple way that they learn how to regulate Isn't some that of that some of those physiological yeah. responses. Uh, but I think that's just one example. Yeah. But that's uh, interesting. It's funny because I played the game with my kids where I'll just. This is when they're younger. I didn't dare do it now. They'll break my hip. Um, but I would hold them. I'd wrap them all up. I'd totally lock them into me, and then they'd have to get out, uh-huh. and they'd have <laughs> to find some way to get out. But it is. Like they're stressed, yet they're, they have to be calm. Uh-huh. They have to breathe through it. So it's interesting. Something as subtle as that. That is just something you don't see a lot of moms like grabbing their kids and throwing them up in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's one example where you know a father – I mean obviously in the best situation, you've got a good mother and a yeah. good father and not everyone has that right. situation. But you know, when you do, uh, being able to complement each other mm-hmm. and, and back each other up and bring things to the development of a child that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, but uh, uh, I think frankly though, there's also ways that – Fathers can model uh, good emotional development that even yeah. aren't part of the the traditional just roughhousing and, right. and other roles that fathers like what? Play. Give us some of those. What what are what? How can fathers be better role models? Well, here's here's an example, and it's something that may not come naturally, either mm-hmm. because we didn't see it, you know, in our own families growing up, or because of kind of the social expectation that fathers are. Or macho and right. you know, serious, cool. yeah. Um, but uh, I think you you may have been exposed to some of the research of John Gottman, oh yeah, a researcher, yeah. Uh, you know, some marriage research mm-hmm. and, and emotional child development, exactly. And, yeah. Um, one thing that he's studied is how when uh, when parents and fathers specifically respond to children's emotions in an adaptive way, in a way that you know the fathers aren't scared yeah. of the. The emotion that the child's experiencing, but give them a way to label the emotion uh-huh. and be able to put um, words with the feelings. It actually helps those children be able to manage those emotions. Oh, interesting. Um, and so, if, if fathers are able to do that and model that, and not you know, when a child's crying, just say stop crying. Yeah, I mean, that's, grow up. Yeah, right. I mean, but and that's instead, like an atypical behavior. It's not. It might be something you're more normally used to seeing from the mom. Mm-hmm. But you're saying when a father can do that and validate a feeling, kind of label that's it for right. him and walk him through it, it's profound. That's right. That's huge. And honestly, we don't do that very well. It's hard because it's a little unnatural, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's something that you know we can, we can work on yeah. and show some... It makes you wonder if sometimes we're not reacting to their reaction. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's when my kids are mad, I, for some reason, start getting mad. 
Yeah. Like when they're yelling at each other and making too much noise, I have this immediate reaction to like, okay, somebody wants to die here. Which one's going to die? And I start <laughs> thinking I've got to get one of my kids. And that's an interesting thing that, that this John Gottman's talking yeah. about too is that when we see that kind of emotion in a child instead of – Having that response that to shut it down, yeah. it's actually a chance. We we can look at that as an opportunity to connect That's with right. the child, to and teach. that just makes a huge difference. See, it's a powerful thing that, and I want us. That's one of the things I want on the show is to make sure that we're understanding that we don't. You're not limited by your DNA or your history or your heritage. Any father out there could be learning how to do some more of this emotional responding or emotional intelligence. In fact, Gottman, he wrote a book on emotional – raising your children with emotional intelligence. That's right. And it's, and it's key because if they can't figure this out when they're young, they're going to struggle in, in having conflict with their, their partner, in teaching their children. And then we kind of just hand these horrible traditions down sometimes. Mm-hmm. When we come back, I want to talk to you, uh, Dr. Warren, about are we supposed to be their friend – are we supposed to be their parent? And what really is the difference? And at what point is being too friendly, like not giving them enough boundary, not giving them enough structure? I want to talk about that. And then I just want to get into your best tips, your ideas. What are things fathers should be doing right now to pick up their game? We're talking dads, how to pick up our game as fathers. And again, and just as parents, because each one of these can be used as for any parent trying to raise their children in this crazy thing we call life. We'll be back after this break, everybody, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. BYU Radio's This Will Take a While brings you engaging and often digressive conversations about film, books, hockey, geography, culture, art, and pretty much everything else. Join host and BYU film professor Dean Duncan weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon for BYU Radio. I'm Ian Jones. Here are some of the stories we're following today. Democrats have chosen the mayor of San Antonio, Texas, to deliver the keynote address at their convention in Charlotte. AP White House correspondent Mark Smith reports. Mayor Julian Castro will be the first Hispanic ever to deliver the high-profile primetime convention speech, a sign of just how important Latino voters are to President Obama's bid for a second term. At 37, the telegenic Castro is the youngest mayor of a major American city, and the comparisons with Obama are unavoidable. He was raised by a single mother, got a degree from Harvard Law School, and, just like Obama, is making his national debut at a nominating convention that will help set the tone for the fall campaign. Mark Smith at the White House. And while gearing up for their convention, Democrats are preparing to include a controversial item in their party platform. AP correspondent Rita Foley explains. It's same-sex marriage. We're told that for the very first time, Democrats are on track to include support for gay marriage in the party platform. Gay rights advocates are hailing the decision, but opponents like the National Organization for Marriage, say this is now a defining issue in the presidential election, and they'll make sure their supporters know it. Organization President Brian Brown says this election may determine the future of marriage in the United States. Rita Foley, Washington. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton is starting an 11-day trip to Africa. The AP's Ed Donahue reports. The trip includes a stop in Africa's newest nation, South Sudan, 
First stop is Senegal, where Clinton is expected to warn African nations about the potential perils of Chinese investment without actually mentioning China by name. Experts say it benefits China at Africa's expense by exploiting the country's raw materials without regard for human rights. The Secretary of State is also worried about growing security threats from Islamist militants in Africa. Ed Donahue, Washington. Consumers enjoyed a small increase in income last month, but AP correspondent Dave Melendi reports they chose not to spend it. Personal income grew by a half percent in June, according to the Commerce Department, but still cautious consumers held on to that extra money. Personal spending was virtually unchanged, dropping less than a tenth of a percent. That translated into a jump in the savings rate to 4.4 percent in June, the highest in a year. The government says real disposable income increased 0.3% in June, compared with a 0.5% gain in May. And real personal consumption spending decreased 0.1%, erasing a 0.1% increase the month before. David Melendi, Washington. The Goodyear blimp is providing aerial TV coverage of the Olympics, but it's best to call it the anonymous blimp. AP correspondent Warren Levinson reports. For the first time in its 90-year history, the airship doesn't have a name emblazoned on its sides. Goodyear is not an official Olympic sponsor, though it did get to keep its familiar blue and yellow color scheme. Eight years ago, Athens was patrolled by two plain white blimps. It turns out there's nothing quite so sinister as a plain white blimp overhead day and night, and the Olympic City was rife with rumors of military or intelligence agency surveillance. Nor did Goodyear escape that. After the opening ceremony, the Twitterverse was alight with claims the nameless blimp over the stadium was a UFO. Warren Levinson, London. And that's all for now from the BYU Newsroom. Thanks for joining us here at Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Ian Jones. Now the man at my house, he's so big and strong. He goes to work each day and he stays all day long. He comes home each night looking tired and beat. He sits down at the dinner table and has a bite to eat. Never a frown, always a smile. When he says to me, how's my child? I said that I've been studying hard all day in school. Trying very hard to understand the golden rule. I think I'll color this man father. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about fathers. That was the Winstons, Color Him Father. And uh, we're talking about the importance of, of a dad and being a dad and being a parent and uh, taking your role in, in the family and, uh, and being there for your children in a way that they need you to be there. Jared Warren, who's a Ph.D., assistant professor at the Department of Psychology at Brigham Young University, is joining us now in the studio. Dr. Warren, thanks for being here. My pleasure. We're talking daddies and the role we play. Now, i got to ask you this because you hear this all the time. Are we supposed to be their friend or their father or both? Or what does that mean? Well, I think first we do need to be their father. Um, They're going to have... They're going to have friends, and there's a different kind of uh, connection that comes with you know peer right. relationships versus a parent relationship. And um, you and, and many others I know have heard about uh, some of the parenting research. Yeah. And there's a, a descriptor that they call authoritative parenting where a parent, and in this case a father, there's limits that need to be set. 
Um, and those need to be consistent, but they can be done in a, in a way that's warm yeah. and engaging and that, that respects the developing autonomy of the child. Uh, but what, when it comes down to it, if I'm you know in the grocery store and my child is crying for the candy bar and you know now's not the time yeah. and I'm worried about hurting his feelings or not him not liking me and him screaming I hate you dad right. uh those are times we've got to suck it up and uh you know be firm and and stick to those limits just say no <laughs> I think that's a drug thing. Um, but see, it really is when it comes down to it. I, I guess we're afraid. We want we, – we're pleasing them. We, we don't want – it's almost like we're seeing them like a friend. We don't want to lose the friend. But the key is you're going to lose them without some boundary, without some rules, without some structure. They're going to slide. They need that from us. Exactly. And they, they need that and they thrive on it. Yeah. And it's normal for them to – to test mm-hmm. those boundaries and to push those boundaries. And it's normal for us to feel yeah. anxious when that happens. But we can we can do that and show the love and the warmth. And they'll remember the warmth and the love. They'll feel safer because they know the limits are there. Um, you know, we don't need to be harsh about it. Yeah. We don't want to be critical. Right. We need to be uh, warm and respectful. Um, and so in a way, when you're asking, you know, Father Which or friend, rich, yeah. you you can be both, yep. but there are times when the the father role takes precedence, and um, I mean we don't want to we don't want to minimize the critical importance of them feeling that love. You know we want to we want to have them have no question in their minds right. how you know we My feel dad about loves them. me. It's interesting. I guess we dichotomize it like we make it an either or. Either you're a friend or you're a father, but you can be a fun loving, happy go lucky father. With boundaries and structure, mm-hmm. and what you're saying is, kids thrive on it. Mm-hmm. Kids, I guess, it creates predictability in their world. It yeah. creates safety and it creates standards, so they know the box they kind of fit in for mm-hmm. right now. It's huge, but we're afraid. <laughs> we're so afraid. Well, it's hard too. I mean, as you know, you know, being a parent, being a father, is hard work, and inevitably, there's times, there's days that. We're at the we're at the end of our yeah. skills and our knowledge and 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 it's interesting. I mean, myself. I mean, my, I'm a child psychologist, yeah. and so you'd think that that would give you, me you'd be the all the weapons dad. I need <laughs> to to do anything yeah. in my family. But the fact is, you get in the yeah. situation and the emotion that comes with you know being there and having the history behind the yeah. interactions. Um, it still is hard work, yeah. um, and it requires the patience and persistence. And um, sometimes uh, giving ourselves some some credit and flexibility, but we just keep at it, and it's worth it. Well, and it is. It's it, it is. It's like a marathon. If you're thinking of the Olympic, it's it's a long haul. And one of the things I found is how I've treated you in the past tends to kind of foreshadow what how I will end up having to treat you in the future. How I discipline you today will impact what I'll be able to do with you tomorrow. How I don't discipline you today will impact what I'll – so it's it's a continuum, but it's not like you can't ever start. You can always start today mm-hmm. to build the relationship and to grow that mm-hmm. – the relationship. Now, how do we know where our no's are? And like for example, I, I'm kind of an automatic no 
which is just bad. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's bad or not. But my kids will come and say, hey, Dad, can we have a late over? And I'll be like, no. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. And it drives me batty because then they'll say, like, where's mom? I'm like, don't worry about your mom. You don't need to talk to your mom because dad has said no. But they know. They know just ask mom because mom's kind of the automatic yes. <laughs> that she might need to be the automatic yes because I'm the automatic no or vice versa. But what what are some of the boundaries that kids need? What are, you know, what are some just obvious structures they need? Um, well, As a child psychologist, I mean, you've, you've been on the child side of it. They need something. Sure. Sure. Uh, safety is one obvious yeah. one. And, um, you know, kids, when we say no, they, they want to know why. Yeah, why? Why? Um, and, um, you know, sometimes the, the reason, and especially as they're getting older, we can try to state succinctly, you know, well, I'm worried about you being yeah. up that late because of, your yeah. safety and sometimes other people can you can't always control their yeah. people's behavior and we give them a brief succinct why yeah. so safety is one obvious uh, reason for that um sometimes i think you know it's because we maybe have some experience in yeah. you know what they want to do and you know we can just say well you know based on what i've seen in the past i'm worried that you know these are things that might happen yeah. um so i think uh you know safety uh, basic uh, socialization. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes we set limits on their behavior because we're trying to teach them how to get along in the world. Yeah, you're going to lose friends if we do this. That's right. People, some people don't like it when you stay over too late or whatever. Yeah. So you know, safety, socialization. The uh, you know, we may have some family rules and expectations yeah. that you know we're trying to teach them about. about. And so some families, you know, they have a small number of, I don't want to call it, maybe principles or mm-hmm. expectations. And we say, you know what, in our family, we want people to feel safe and respected. And so I, you're not allowed to hit your brother yeah. because that's we in don't our family. Do we don't do that. That's right. So, you know, just teaching them about our family expectations and um, those are those are all times when I have to say It's huge. And I, I mean, it really is. It's something we just kind of do daily. We learn as we go. They should probably dads should be reading. I mean, there's so many websites that have ideas and tools out there. Do you have any like just favorite websites that you suggest that you've seen? Or um, did you mention the art of manliness? Yeah, have you mentioned that? Uh-huh. Um, that was one I discovered a little while back, and I That's think it's powerful. really helpful. Um, not just about fathering, but just kind of a broad range of issues that yeah. deal with with men specifically. Um, there's a there's a some websites that I wouldn't be able to cite the URLs off the top of my head, but yeah. um, uh, search terms like generative fathering, okay. uh, I think, is or, or some that'll get so you. So generative good meaning hits. we're creating kind of a productive, flowing, um, growing kind of a fathering role. That's right, and the recognition that in our role, you know, part of our part of the expectation for me as a father is to do my best to help my children uh, develop and, and um, you know, we always want our kids to have it better than, than we did yeah. in some ways. Yeah. And, you know, there's some learning that goes from one generation to the next. And you'll hear people say, well, my father did this wrong and I don't want to do things yeah. that way. And so I'm going to do things differently. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at its core, it's, you know, doing our best to recognize that we want what's best for our kids. I think it's, um, it really, and, and I think the funny thing about it is when you parent, in, intentionally, 
and you know your role and you've studied it up and you're a generative kind of mentality probably, it seems like you actually would have less guilt <laughs> and you'd you'd feel better about your role and you'd be able to kind of maybe enjoy it instead of feel like you're always behind in the role. I mean it seems like right now too a lot of mothers are out there and they always feel like they're just not quite enough. They they're not adding we're not up. living up. Mm-hmm. I worry about that. Because I think there's some discouragement that can set in because yeah. if I start focusing on all the things that I'm not doing yeah. perfectly, yeah. Uh, that can get discouraging. Totally. And, and I think I alluded to this before, but I'd really like it if as fathers we spent a little more time recognizing the value of yeah. the good things that we do What happened with today that worked? Um, powerful. And part of that includes just you know, enjoying those simple, simple family moments that uh, you know, we, we – derive a lot of pleasure from and yeah. you know, playing with our kids and, and going to soccer games. And, um, you know, when I get home and my three-year-old comes running out the door, you know, yelling, daddy's home, daddy's home. Um, I, I try to take a mental picture of that because she's not always going to no, be that's three. Gonna go away. And, um, you know, it's those kinds of moments that, um, you know, stay with us and that's huge. Kind of combat that discouragement. I totally agree. And as a, a my daughter, just my oldest child, just turned nineteen, and you know she could be married. I mean, she's not going to be married, but she's like marriageable. She can vote. <laughs> she she can do stuff, and it's scary. It's a scary. But that was my little girl that used to run home and say, "Daddy, Daddy," and now she just runs home and says, "Daddy, Daddy, I need you to pay for school." Um, tell me, just give us some other hints or clues. What are some things just as fathers you recommend we focus on core things? Sure. Um, and obviously we could spend a whole show on this. Um, some of the, some of the really important things that come to my mind, I think are, uh, you, you have to be there. You have to spend the time there. Uh, you hear the term quality time, um, you know, it. I think both quantity and quality yeah, are going to be important. important, and this is a hard thing for each of us. But that means balancing all these roles that come along with being a father. So, usually, that's you know providing yeah. for the family. Yeah, that's uh, you know stepping up and and being a leader in the family. It's uh, you know helping out with some of the you know regular household yeah. chores. Um, you know, helping with the kids. Uh, socialization yeah. and emotional development. Some of their teams, coaching, being involved in things like that. So all those things take time. Yeah. Um, and so there's some some balancing that has to happen, you know, with with our own interests and hobbies, with work, with, you know, time for our, our spouses. Um, and so I think we kind of monitor that to yeah. make sure that we're, we're t- uh, taking care of ourselves, our wives, our children. All that's hard work, but, um, you know, Attending to that, I think, is no, that's critical. Um, along with that, there, are th- I think, there are small things that we can take advantage of. Uh, things like uh, bed—I'll call it a bedside chat. So when you're yeah. tucking your kids in at night, and I would try to do this. My oldest is 15, and um, uh, our our bedside chats look different than yeah, they did totally. when she was five. But um, uh, taking you know that time, if you want your kid to be in bed by say nine o'clock. I say set it at 8.30 or 8.45 and then you tuck them in and you spend that 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes talking to them about their day. Um, You know, ask them what they want to talk about. 
you know, I've talked with my kids about, well, if you had a million dollars, what would you use yeah, it for? It's a great just question. use that for, you know, no pressure time just to talk with them and they will grow to love and expect that. Absolutely. And those are going to be some, some precious memories over the years. Well, and so much of that, I guess, is just about time. A time I found is a good time to do that is at a transition point, like when they're going to bed, when they're waking up, mm-hmm. when you're saying goodbye, when you're saying hello at breakfast. There's all of these little moments of transition that are you can kind of inject some pretty cool little habits in. Give us one more. What's one more tip you got? Just one little ditty. Uh, this is one that a lot of people do, but um, uh, you know, people call it different things. But it's this special time that you have with an individual child. Yeah. And so you know whether it's uh, you know going to a baseball game that your son wants to do or or, or whatever it, whatever it is, um, the that kind of special time one on one. And it's something that the child picks, that the child wants to do, and you follow their lead, and it's their time. And it doesn't matter if, you know, they say they want to play a game and they're not going to go to the mall. Yeah. That's okay. That's so great. Um, It really is, it's it's fairly simple, huh? You don't need to be magical, you just need to be present and make the time. Good stuff. Dr. Jared Warner, Ph.D., Assistant Professor of Psychology at Brigham Young University. Thanks for being here with us. My pleasure. So appreciate you. We're going to have you back on because we're going to have to – I know we're going to have to take the other side of this now. For moms, moms, what do you need? We'll have Dr. Warren back with that. We will be back after this break, give you more tips and ideas as we wrap up the show today on Fathers. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Connect with Matt on BYU Radio's Facebook page and Twitter at BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. It's stronger than titanium, bounces like rubber, molds like plastic, and they call it liquid metal. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. As if you needed a reminder that we live in the 21st century, a new alloy that sounds like an alchemist's dream is finding its way into everyday consumer products. Technically referred to as an amorphous alloy, it has the cooler brand name of liquid metal because as it cools, it turns directly into a solid without first forming a crystalline structure like steel. That difference gives liquid metal amazing mechanical properties, akin to some plastics. Indeed, it's finding use as a stronger, more durable replacement for many plastic parts and things like electronic devices. Besides being much stronger than titanium, the alloy is elastic and corrosion-resistant. Its early commercial successes were in such things as tennis rackets, baseball bats, and golf clubs, all items where tremendous forces are applied and matching rebound energy comes back out. The military is studying it for use in powerful bullets that can defeat enemy armor, but it also makes superior hip joint replacements. This do-it-all alloy is also finding its way into expensive jewelry for its fine aesthetic qualities. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Richard and Linda Iyer are world-traveling family coaches, and they have some advice for you. From how to deal with a rebellious teenager to managing a family reunion, the Ayers have experienced it all. 
wherever they happen to be traveling in the world, you can always find them here Monday through Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking about being a good father, being present, doing everything we need to do to uh, to make a difference. Again, we never want to we never want to have these conversations to make you feel guilty. Um, we really want to just give you some tools, the, a leg up, so that you you know how to kind of combat some of this. And with Dr. Warren. Um, Having just talked to us, it really doesn't have to be big stuff. It's little stuff. One of the greatest things um, that I've kind of just discovered as a father with my kids is uh, is time and and time in moments where they couldn't, they can't get away. Uh, I went and picked my sons up from a camp out, and on the way home, I had about an hour and a half, actually a two hour drive home with them. And on the way home, they they had nowhere to go. They were just there. And we could just ask a question. We could hear what they were talking about, hear what they're interested in, and just kind of relate. There's nothing better than a question. So as you're all driving home today, ready to go pick up your kids, start running carpools around, getting them to the activities of the night, and just settling down a bit, let me just challenge you to make sure that you're taking advantage of that little time that's in there. The time, you know, it is something we're all going to miss. We're so going to miss. So now Bryce Tobin, one of our producers, last uh, little uh, feature that he did on the show was a little more serious. But uh, the old Bryce is back. He's back to his old tricks. He's got some examples of good parents who have got some seriously disappointing surprises. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce is Right. Whew. That last one was kind of serious. Good thing I don't plan on doing anything like that anytime soon. So, parents, to some degree or another, everyone's got them. Some people even have good ones. But here's two examples of kids that had pretty good parents, but things still didn't go according to plan. So we have Titus Flavius Vespasianus Augustus, or Vespasian for short. He ascended to the Roman throne in AD 70. He had three children, including two sons, Titus and Domitian. Vespasian was known for his wit, for his amiable manner alongside his commanding personality and military prowess. He could be liberal to impoverished senators and equestrians and to cities and towns desolated by natural calamity. He was especially generous to men of letters and redders, several of whom he pensioned with salaries of as much as 1,000 gold pieces a year, which I guess is a lot. Plenty of the elders' work, The Natural History, was written during Vespasian's reign and dedicated to his son Titus. Vespasian also distrusted philosophers in general. There was Helvetius Priscus, who repeatedly affronted the emperor with studied insults, and the emperor initially ignored him, only to say, I will not kill a dog that barks at me. Vespasian was also noted for his mildness when dealing with political opposition. According to Suetonius, he bore the frank language of his friends, the quips of pleaders, and the impudence of the philosophers with the greatest patience. He was also noted for his benefactions to the people. A lot of money was spent on public works and the restoration and beautification of Rome. A new forum, the Temple of Peace, the public baths, or the great showpiece, the Colosseum. So what about his son Domitian? Once he was put in charge, his government exhibited totalitarian characteristics. And despite his military failures, he saw himself as the new Augustus, an enlightened despot destined to guide the Roman Empire into a new era of brilliance. Religious, military, and cultural propaganda fostered a cult of personality 
and by nominating himself perpetual censor, he sought to control public and private morals. As a consequence, Domitian was popular with the people and army, but considered a tyrant by members of the Roman Senate. According to Suetonius, he was the first Roman emperor who had demanded to be addressed as Dominus et Deus, Master and God. Yeesh. Domitian's reign came to an end in 96 when he was assassinated by court officials. Is it really that surprising? That same day, he was succeeded by his advisor, Nerva. After his death, Domitian's memory was condemned to oblivion by the Roman Senate. Ouch. Or another example, I think it goes without saying that Margaret Thatcher is a fantastic lady, whether or not you like her personally. But do you know of her son, Mark Thatcher? Here's the cliff notes. He failed his accountancy exams three times, someone who easily has access to all sorts of tutors and help. Then, in 2004, he was arrested for violating South Africa's anti-mercenary laws by financing an attempted coup in Equatorial Guinea. Thatcher initially denied any knowledge of the coup plot, but later admitted to chartering a helicopter used by the mercenaries, supposedly without any knowledge of their intentions. Because I'm one to just loan out a helicopter. He was fined $500,000 and left South Africa. Since then, Thatcher had trouble finding a new place to settle. He was denied a visa to travel to the United States, and even Monaco denied his application for residency. Monaco will take just about anyone for any reason. It's a real punch in the face. But level with me here. I'm not trying to be a downer. Parents can certainly have a significant influence on their kids. But there's a point where it's eventually up to the kids. I just don't want any of you to ever feel bad. Sometimes you can't control just how far that apple will fall from the tree. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Good work. That was, uh, he knows a lot. <laughs> He's a great guy. Appreciate uh, that so much. Um, it really is, uh, it's, it's not always you. You know, your kids have a say in their own lives. You can be incredible, fabulous, talented, and yet your children can still choose to fail the accountancy exam three times and other crazy things. So how and what do we focus on? Just a little wrap-up for the show. I'm going to challenge you to to worry. It's great to worry about your history and how messed up we've been and what we haven't necessarily done right. And, boy, I sure hope our children are not just totally messed up because of us. Okay, don't go there. Let me do suggest that we go instead a little bit to our future and ask ourselves – you know, at my 80th birthday party, what do I want my children and grandchildren to be able to say about me as their father? That I humiliated them, that I was never there. What do you want your kids to say? If we project our life forward and try to identify what we want our kids to say about us, you know what? It at least gives us a vision for what we can become. Then what I would just suggest is today, what's the most important thing I could be to do that I could do to be the kind of father I want to be? When, they're, uh, when I'm 80 years old? What's the most important thing I can do today to make my kids really, truly, honestly be able to say they care that I was there, that I, that I had the time and the attention that they needed? That is what I'd be focusing on. What's the most... 